Let's turn to our Bibles in John chapter 6. And uh, we've been going through 1 Corinthians. And, you know, I really have to get liberty from God before I preach about things. I don't know if you know what that means. I'm sure Neil, when he does his worship and he puts together his... Puts together uh, his playlist for the worship. I'm sure he goes through that too. And any of you that have ever been in ministry, Dan and others, um, Jay, uh, there's times when you want to talk about something, but you don't have the liberty from the Spirit to do it, right? How many have ever experienced that? Even in, in just conversations with people, you just don't have the liberty. You know something needs to be talked about or said in, in a personal relationship. But you don't have the liberty to speak about it. And it's not because it's wrong, but it's just maybe not the timing for it. So um, all the way up until yesterday, I just didn't have liberty to do 1 Corinthians 6 yet. I know it's an awesome chapter, and there's a lot of great content there. But I just felt like God wanted us to dwell on this topic that we talked about last week about vision. And I want to hit it from another aspect and I want to talk about, last week we talked about a lot of external stuff, didn't we? We talked a lot about external vision. We talked about vision for external things. I want to approach this topic from another direction. And I want to just talk about um, our inner motivation. And I wanted to talk about inner needs, okay? So let's just begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless this message. And we thank you for the worship that we've already had we just pray for Sean, who's got food poisoning today. Pray for Amina and Hamilton. I believe they're on the road. We pray for Tamara today. Bless her. Father, we just thank you, God, for each guest that's here. And Lord, we just pray that you would really minister to us and those that couldn't make it this morning. Pray for that emergency situation Jason had to head out to. Bless that. Cover that, Lord. And then also just comfort us here today if we need special comfort. Maybe we've had a loss. Lord, we just ask you for that inner comfort and that inner peace that comes knowing that you're in control of the good times and the bad times in our life. We pray you bless this message in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 6. Um, I want to just go through a few verses here. And last week we talked about, kind of about John chapter 4, about how the woman met Jesus at the well. And we, she had a vision of Christ at the well, speaking to the person of God. And now I want to talk about another type of vision that people have of Jesus Christ. And this is in John chapter 6. And let's read these verses through together from 25 to 29. John chapter 6, 25 through 29. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And remember, the context of the situation here, John chapter 6, verse 25, is Jesus has just multiplied loaves and fishes. And so people have just eaten very well. They've been, their bellies are full of a miracle. And people are really excited about this Jesus movement because he is doing some incredible things. He's healing people. Miracles are happening. He's talking about a new kingdom political revolution. He's talking about this. Is, people are getting very excited about this. And this is something that the nation of Israel has had a need for for many, for many, for many centuries. Just victory. They, they, they need this. And this is a, an amazing time for the nation of Israel 
for the people of Israel. And so they are right now uh, after a miracle. And Jesus said to them, verse 26, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, loaves and the fishes, but because you ate and, you're, and you're, you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work, in verse 27, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Verse 28, Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Great question, huh? Verse 29, Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. I want to read one other verse, Philippians chapter 3, verse 8. Turn with me there if you can. Philippians 3, verse 8. And if you don't have a Bible, we have some here down here. You can, you can borrow and you can even take home if you'd like, if you don't have one. Philippians 3, verse 8. Paul here is speaking. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Jesus my Lord for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might win or might gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith Philippians 3, 8, and 9. There's three things I want to say this morning. Number one, Jesus did not come into the world mainly to give bread, but to be bread. That we would be satisfied and content first with him in all of our needs. Second thing I want to mention this morning is the crowd here demonstrates this, but need-based motivation is deficit motivation. Need-based motivation is deficit motivation, and the Bible calls it, in the book of Hebrews, dead works. Activity that has no spiritual fruit. It just happens, and it just stays in the ground, and it's not fruitful. Number three, and we talked about this last week, rather, we do what we do in ministry, in relationships, in our personal life, whatever we do. We do what we do to others because of an overflow, right? We talked about that last week, that when our cup overflows, like David's cup overflowed, I almost said overflow, <laughs> overflowed. Uh, in Psalm 23, that overflow is what we call ministry, and that's what we call a blessing. And so let's start at verse 25, and we'll just go through these verses together. Verse 25, when they found him, in John chapter 6, when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi... When did you come here? And we can see that the multitudes have this there, is this, there is this miracle that has happened, and now there is this movement of thousands of people following this new movement, and they're excited about it, and we can see this can happen today. But in verse 15 of the same chapter, they wanted to make him the bread, the bread king of Israel. They wanted to make him king of Israel because here he is, Here's the man that we've been waiting for. Uh, nationally, we have a poor self-image as Israelis, as, 
as Jews. We've been under the dominion and the oppression of the Roman government. Um, we are we are off scouring. We are mocked. We are just we are not seeing for the last four 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 or five hundred years any type of um, victory or identity. Um, and this man here, we're going to pin all of our need on him because he now is he is now making bread and he's and he's creating miracles. And they were looking at him not because of anything else, but they were looking at, at him as useful. They were following Jesus because he was useful. He was useful for their need of bread, useful for their need of money, for need of health, useful for the need of prosperity and recognition. And so this is the status here of what's happening in verse 25. These people, they are just, they are just, they are following him. Uh, and I think that, you know, in certain movements today, in certain church movements today, people would, maybe some leaders would see a great mass following them, and they would, they would be excited because they can see some kind of movement started. But we have to be careful that when a movement begins, that it's not a movement that's based on Jesus meeting people's need for bread, but it's something else. And I want to talk about that in a minute. Some movements today may look very successful, but the question has to be asked, what are they following after? And what, what is their vision of Christ? So, yeah, we're following Jesus because he's given us bread. It sounds a little bit like socialism or communism, doesn't it? And this is not what Jesus was all about. In verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me. And I love how Jesus always discovers our motives. <laughs> and, you know, like, Jesus is not even asking them, they're asking their, answering their question. These guys are like, where did you go? It was so awesome. You created, you created bread, and, and you multiplied bread and fishes, and, and everybody's, I mean, you're so popular now. And I think Judas was really his PR man in a lot of ways. And, and, and we don't know what Judas is saying here, but, but the multitudes are following, and they're like, where did you go? In verse 15, he disappears. He leaves because they want to make him king, and that's not his mission. Their agenda is let's make him king. His agenda is something different. And Jesus, Jesus turns around. He doesn't even answer their questions. Sometimes we ask God questions, and he gives us a different answer that doesn't even address our question, but addresses something much deeper in our life. And that, that's, that's kind of scary, because he's pulling away, he's pulling away the layers. Like, you ever, did you ever take an onion and, and peel away the, the, the layers of dead skin to get that fresh part of the onion? And the more you pull away, there's another layer there. That's the way we are. God pulls away layers, and there's another layer there. And God has to pull that layer away. And there's another layer there that we've produced. And we are multi-layered people because of fear and, and the fear of rejection and the fear of, of, of what's happened in our past that we don't want to experience that again. And so we have multi-layers. Jesus here is doing this with the multitudes. He's pulling their layers away. And he says, you're following me because, not because you saw signs, but because... You ate your fill of the loaves. Very interesting, huh? Jesus is not saying he's not going to give bread. He's going to give bread, but we can miss it so easily by thinking that the main thing he came to do is to give us bread. And this is what many preachers are preaching today. Jesus, if you follow Jesus, he's going to meet, you all, your, he's going to meet all your needs. He's going to fill every need. If you're hungry, he's going to fill you. Uh, if you have this happening in your life... 
he's going to make you he's going to make you he's going to make you fall and this is the theology that has been exported from the United States to countries like Africa where it's very poor and there's a lot of poverty there and this message believe it or not and Ukraine as well has taken off and this is not the message that Jesus is talking about here Jesus is talking about something else Jesus came that that he would yes give us bread put bread in our hands but he also came first that we would know him like Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 verse 8 you know I think that sometimes and if you've had tragedy in your life please don't take this recently if don't take this personally don't take it like I'm preaching at you because I'm not but if you if all of us in this room have had things taken out of our hands he's we've had bread taken out of our hands and sometimes that happens, and please don't take this the wrong way, but when that happens, um, it's a loving way for us to be prepared to receive the true bread, Jesus Christ. To receive the thing that is really the person, Jesus Christ. When, and this happens all around the world today. Bread is taken from people's hands so that they might discover and trust him as the first bread. I think all of us in this room have experienced loss. And anyone in this room that has not experienced any loss in their life, okay? God has, God, that has happened to us, whether great or small, so that we can discover the preciousness of the true bread. Here in verse 26, they were seeking miracle and they were not seeking the person. And Jesus called them out on it. They, fixed, they fixated on the product and the results of the miracle and not the person. I think that in ministry and in, and in family and in everything that we do in our personal lives, God's going to do miracles. God loves doing miracles. God wants to do miracles because he gets the glory for them. In Ephesians chapter 1, he loves to do miracles of grace. He loves to do things in our life that we could never, ever qualify for. Because when we say yes to God and we receive those things by faith, guess what happens? Guess who, guess who gets glorified? Us? No. Because we are of little faith. All we can say is yes. And when we receive a gift of grace from God that he gives to us that we could never qualify for or that we could never work for, guess who that glorifies? That glorifies the giver. But here's what's happening. Jesus here is they're losing sight of the person because of the miracle. Verse 27, let's look at verse 27 and verse 28. Verses 27 and 28 are quoting a verse in the Old Testament. And I love how Jesus does this, because in the, in the New Testament, Jesus validated so much, if not all, of the Old Testament by just quoting things. In Isaiah 55, verse 2, um, Jesus is quoting these verses. I want to read these to you. You don't have to turn there. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Jesus, the, the writer here, Isaiah, is saying, he's saying that there is labor going on in Israel at that time in Isaiah 55, a labor that was motivated by a deficit motivation, a need. We go to work today, don't we? We have to go to work on Monday. We work because we need to make money. Okay, but here what he's talking about here is not talking about that. Of course, it's God's will for us to work. The Bible talks about work, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians. He who does not work does not eat, right? What's talking about here is, is that there's another type of bread in, Romans, in Matthew 4, verse 4, that is a, a bread that is whatever that 
object is that would meet our needs that are inner needs like recognition or praise <laughs> or um, significance or um, physical need or whatever those needs may be, preservation. These are human needs that the people, the multitudes were bringing to Jesus and this was their motivation. And Jesus said, I mean, and, and I, I'm sorry, Isaiah said, Listen, to, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. The prophet Isaiah is saying, and then Jesus later on quotes it in 27 and 28, he's saying, listen, listen to me, listen. You know, when we have needs in our life, and we all have needs, we have needs that we don't even know about that impact our decisions, that impact our motivations. I have needs that I don't even know about that impacts the way I make my decisions. And Jesus has to call us out on that. Why? Because we are going sometimes for the wrong thing. And Jesus wants to us just to listen and receive that which is good. This is what church is all about. This is why we meet together. This is what, when we share the gospel with someone, this is how we are ministering to people. God created the world with words, didn't he? Words are so creative. Words can create things out of nothing. When you and I speak into people's lives the words of God, that's creating something in their soul that didn't exist before. When you share the gospel with someone, even if it's three or four words about the nature of God at work, you're creating something in their life that never existed before. And that is a seed, and that seed is going to start to grow. It's going to grow, and it's going to grow, and it's going to grow. And that's why we never have to modify the seed. We never have to modify the message, you know, with emotions or psychology or intellectualism or commercialism. We don't have to modify it. We can just preach it. Remember Jonathan Edwards back in the day in the Northeast read his messages, and he read this message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. And he just sat there, and he was trembling at that, at that podium where he was speaking from, and he just began to read his message. And as he was reading that message, you've heard the story, the conviction of the Holy Spirit came into that room so powerful as he's just reading the message that God gave him that people were so convicted of their life without God that God began, they, they began in, in such great anguish, spiritual anguish, they began to cry out to God. And even before the message was over, people were, and this, is, this can be historically proven, this is not my exaggeration, People were actually were crying out to God for salvation. And that began a great movement in, the, in New England. Many of several great movements in New England, which is so dark today. We don't need to modify the seed. We just need to listen. And when we listen to it, we're going to be satisfied. Let's go back to verse 27 in chapter 6 here. Do not work for the, for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to, do to be doing the works of God? And so the multitudes understand what Jesus is talking about. And this begins a very long conversation in this chapter. If you've ever read, when you go home today, if I can give you some homework, read the rest of the chapter. Read it together with your family and just kind of consider this together. Like, what is Jesus saying? And then Jesus gets more and more specific in the chapter about where they're at and their motivation. And some of them get really offended Some of us, and I, I can do this myself, I'm sure I have, when people come into our lives, when a relationship begins, whether for marriage or for, for whatever it is, and even this could happen coming into church, 
we come into that relationship with inner needs. We just come to those relationships with needs. And it could also be like here in this example, where these people have an agenda for, for bread. And we feel that we need these needs to be met for our sense of significance. You know, when we have a need that's not met, it just impacts our sense of significance, doesn't it? Have you ever been in great need? I'm, I'm sure we all have been. And that just affects the way you feel about yourself. You can see it everywhere. We can just see it in the society that we live. When we are in great need, that just impacts our self-image, doesn't it? It just impacts us. And it can, if we don't take that to God and say, God, here is my needs. Here is my lack. Here is my emptiness. Here's my brokenness. Here is my emptiness. Here's the hole in my heart for whatever reason. And you know, Freud, Skinner, all these guys, all they can do is just analyze it. They don't have any real answers for this except for the Bible. What the Bible gives us as the creator of man gives us the answers. And we come to Jesus and we say, here is my emptiness. Here is my brokenness. And I know it's wrong. I, and I can, maybe it's not even my fault. Maybe something's happened to me where I'm just, I've got a hole in my heart. And I, maybe I've been wronged in my life in a great way. And everyone has been wronged. We bring this to the cross, and if we bring it to the cross, then as we sang in that song today, these songs were just so pertinent to the message today, there's an exchange. We exchange our life. He takes our empty old life with all the holes and the defects and everything. Not, not only our old life as an unsaved person, but as a Christian. As a Christian, he takes all of our defects and he crucifies him on the cross. He says, you are no longer that. You are different. You are, you are not your fear. You're not your depression. You're not your this or that. And what happens is we are set free. We are set free with a new identity. I think the church as a whole in the world can very easily have the wrong message. This do and live, they say. Do this and you're going to live. But the message that Jesus Christ brings is, a different message, and I want to look at it here in a second. But if we don't go to the cross and say, God, here's my stuff, here's my brokenness, I know you accept me, I know you love me unconditionally. And at that moment, we get loved by God. Like, like we were saying this, 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 after, this, this morning, we get loved by God, we get poured into, and that love begins to transform us. Otherwise, the alternative is and if we just, just we, we refuse to go to the cross, I think sometimes we go to the cross, God exposes stuff, and I just think in ministry, here, what we're doing here is, is amazing. Sometimes, and I, I, guys, remember, I have to preach this message to myself first. <laughs> I have to sit here before the Bible and before my notes and say, God, and I did this. God, am I in some way here? God, examine me. Examine my ways. Please make sure that, that I'm not a hypocrite in this. And I pray that I'm not. And it's uncomfortable because the, the, the layers are being pulled away. We just don't like to that. We don't like that vulnerability. And what happens is, is that if we, if we react in pride, and we do, we will, we're going to always react in pride. That's the first reaction of man, according to the, uh, what Paul said to the Corinthians. First is the natural. And don't condemn yourself if that's the, if that's the reaction. But if we react and we stay in that reaction of pride, what this does is it causes a labor in our life that results in dissatisfaction and a wandering attitude. It just means that I get involved with things in my life or relationships in my life that I'm, the motive behind that is that because I'm just wandering 
and I'm not satisfied with the true bread of life. Do you understand what I'm saying? Is that making sense? That when Jesus is, like we sang today, is my, if, if, when Jesus is enough for me, then it doesn't matter what happens in my life. I'm going to be just a happy camper. I'm maybe not a happy camper, but I'm going to have a, a joy in my heart that the world can't steal. I remember when I had first gotten ordained as a pastor, um, I asked a, another older pastor, I said, you know, do you have any, and I was going to be taking a team to do a church plan in Ukraine, and I asked him, I said, do you have any advice for me? He goes, yeah, just make sure your life is Christ and not the ministry, because he said, he was a pastor himself, he still is, and he said to me, if my life was my ministry, I'd be a manic depressant. <laughs> we just laughed, and what he meant by that was this, is that sometimes things are going great in ministry, you know, I mean, it's like awesome, you know, it's like, whoa, this is so awesome, and then sometimes things, or I can, you can replace that word ministry with family, work, anything else, life, anything, anything that's going on in our life, sometimes life is great, but sometimes life is not great, and it's like, man, you're just being torpedoed, and you're just, you know, you got Hiroshima on the outside, you got torpedoes on the inside going on, and you're going down. If Christ is not my life, if Christ is not my life, then I, there's no sustaining in my life. And, and you know something? This happens to us because when we get our eyes on Jesus Christ and the riches of his glory, of his grace and his love, you know what happens? We're healed. We're set free. And we don't come into situations. If I get married because I'm in need, of course, people are in need, and marriage is a great provision for that. You know? But if I marry somebody because of need alone, that person is a, fail, is, a, is, a, is a sinner, and they are a fallen creature, and they're never going to be able to satisfy my true need, which is a spiritual need. It's not physical only. It's a true... I don't need just companionship. I have a spiritual need that uh, my mate could never, ever fill. And if I'm in a relationship or getting into a relationship because of that reason... I'm putting an unfair burden on that person that they could never ever, even though if they even wanted to try, they could never ever fill. And so what we do is, is we just got to get filled up with God. You know, like before we come here, you know, to meetings or before we meet family or whatever, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to see family soon. I need to be filled up with the sufficiency of Jesus Christ as my true bread or I'm going to be trying to eat from them, from their plate, from their soul. And they're not going to appreciate that. I'm going to be like a spiritual vampire. You know that I'm going to be taking stuff from them that they can't give me. And we've all been around those kind of people. Jesus is not supplying people what they think they need. Jesus is giving them himself. And this is so important because this will cease us from getting into labor and striving in our life into things that I got to do this. I got to prove. I got to. You know, like us men, sometimes we have this thing about significance, and women have this thing about insecurity. And by the way, it's all the same thing. It's all, it's just, it's in the same basis of like a fallen self-image that needs to be set free by Jesus Christ in the finished work. And so in verse, 30, in verse 43, in verse 66, um, they grumbled when they understood that Jesus did not come into the world mainly to give bread, but to be bread. They started grumbling. They start getting the point, whoa. <laughs> Maybe we're not going to always be filled with bread. And then in verse 66, they leave. Some of them left. A lot of them left. And I think because, because their, Jesus' mission did not line up with their agenda. 
And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Hey, guys, are you going to leave too? Because it says in John 6 that they were grumbling too. The disciples were grumbling. We, we grumble, you know. We grumble. The pastor grumbles. We grumble. There are times when we're like, oh, my gosh, I can't, I can't believe God's doing this to me. And we're like, okay, I wish God would do it differently. But you know something? Jesus turns to them. And we've talked about this before. He says, will you leave also? Jesus was going for the, the juggler vein. He was just going. He was like, it's like, Jesus, maybe you want to be a little easier on your last 12 men. <laughs> only have 12 men here. You had a, you had a mega church before, but like in Mexico, one like, like yeah, what's that yesterday? Like, you know, and, then, and now you're just like, you're, you know, maybe you just want to take it a little, maybe, Jesus, you want to think about this for another 24 hours before you start talking like this. And he goes, no. What is Jesus, what is, what is, um, what is Peter's response? I love that. Simon says, Simon Peter in verse 68, he says, Lord, to whom shall we go? He's basically saying, yeah, we're pretty, we're pretty offended here. We're pretty upset. We don't like this whole cross thing. We don't like dying to ourselves. We don't like, um, you know, we don't like the, the layers peeled back. And so Jesus, Peter says to Jesus, he says, whom do we, who, to whom shall we go? You have the ramas of life. You have the ramas of eternal life. Not just words, but inner rhema, inner revelation of the words of life. And... And, and in the next verse, he says in 69, and we have believed and we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. There have been times when I've been so offended by the plan of God that it's just, I couldn't even breathe. I don't know about you guys, but there have been times when I was so disappointed. And my, my, you know, my, my thing, my thing is like to be so easy to, to point at people and say, well, that person... You know, they're not letting me do that because, you know something? It was more than that. It was God. God was dealing with a layer inside of me. And I just had to come to this conclusion that, you know something? I'm going to go with the, I'm going to go where the rhema is. I'm going to go, I'm going to follow the one who's got the rhema. And that's Jesus. And Jesus Christ here says in verse 51, I'm going to go lay down my life for you. I want to finish with this, verse 29. What is the labor that God has called us into? I, I like... Action. I'm an action person. I like the book of Mark. There's not a lot of words there. There's a lot of words like immediately, suddenly. Uh, he, you know, I mean, there's lots of words like that. And, and it's, I just like go and, and, um, and that gets me in trouble sometimes. What is the labor? What's the laugh back there? What's the labor? You know, and this is the kind of question that I would ask. Okay, God, what do you want me to do? And so the labor here is... Verse 29, we read this together. Let's read that again. Verse 29, it says, um, it says this, and I want to read this. Jesus answered them. This time he answers them. Before he does it, but this time he does. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. This is more than just salvation. This is more than just believing for salvation. This is a, a daily trust. And this is, the labor that God has called us into, the labor is to stop laboring. Labor to stop laboring. That's Ephesians 4, verse 11, isn't it? Yeah. Ephesians 4, 2. Just labor to stop laboring. That's, isn't that a, a workout for us? Like, man, it just takes this effort in our life to say, like, hey, slow down. It's like, let's not strive. Let's just, like, chill out. 
And, and some of us feel like when we chill out in the Lord, we're like being passive, we're not being productive, we're not being fruitful. But sometimes that's just what God wants us to do. He just wants us to rest in Him. Stop laboring, because the labor to stop laboring and to trust Him. He is standing there. Imagine the picture. He's standing there, verse 29, the bread of life, and He says to them that stop laboring because I want you to trust me. Just trust me. And stop laboring because if you, if you don't stop laboring, then I, have to, I might have to take that bread out of your hands so that you can just understand that I'm the bread and, and that I'm better than sometimes the answers to prayer, you know? I want to finish with, with just, this is what we call faith rest. Faith rest. Resting in faith. Resting in faith is not passivity. It's not sitting around doing nothing. It's not being, being rolling over and just letting people do what... Faith rest is an active anticipation waiting on God. It's a labor. It's Ephesians chapter 4, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 4, 2 and verse 11. We labor into that rest. It's an, it's an intentional thing that we do every morning. Four characteristics of faith rest I want to talk about really quickly as we, as we close. Number one, faith is believing. The moment you believe without evidence, you are doing the work of God without doing one thing. Does that make sense? The moment you and I believe without any evidence in our life, you are doing the work of God without doing one thing. For example, if I was to be used or if you were to be used by God in an amazing way in your family or winning souls to Christ, okay? If I'm trusting the Lord and God is using me, that I'm not even conscious of what I'm doing. I'm conscious, but I'm not living in pride or like, you know, whatever not living in deficit motivation because it's because I'm trusting God and he's using me. We just, you know, it's basically like, like this. You just we just show up and God uses us. And maybe we don't think it comes out great like, you know, like Saturday we we were at last Saturday we had the homeless outreach and you know, Neil was sharing with me like the, the you know, the the sound system and everything and, and you know, God just used us so much in those people's lives. It was just so awesome the conversations. But we we could think like, okay, well, maybe that wasn't the way exactly, you know, we kind of just showed up by faith. But you know something, when we just show up by faith, God uses us. And we're not even aware of it. I think 90% of your impact in other people's lives, God just never shows you and me. Because you know what would happen? We would just get like, we'd be like, wow, look what I did. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And it's great because we don't need to carry that burden. Number two, faith rest. And, and the faith rest is when you and I deny ourselves the right to believe what we see and to feel the answers. Faith rest is when I say, you know what, I don't need to feel the answers. I can just fellowship with Christ. I can just get quiet before Christ and just fellowship with him right now. Just think about him. And maybe I don't see answers right away. You know, maybe I don't see answers for things that I'm praying about. They're coming. The bread's coming. The multiplication of bread and fish is coming. It's going to happen. It's not something that God is going to not deny us. Wait for it. It's coming. I'm just saying that there are moments before that bread comes that he just wants us to be happy and fulfilled with Jesus himself. And we, we don't need to live in that, in that sense of, God, I've got to have an answer. I've got to have an answer. And God's like, I've got to have you quiet down and just wait. Be still before me. Be still and wait and have your expectations in the Lord. Number three, Faith rest is first absent of any feeling at first. Feeling comes later, but at first there's just no feelings maybe. Um, 
Love may come to us, and we may feel the nature of love, right? Peace may come to us, and we may feel the nature, nature of peace. Joy may come, and we may feel the, 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 the nature of joy. But faith, when it comes, it's, it's quiet, isn't it? It's just a, maybe a still small voice inside the deepest part of us saying, it's okay, I'm in control, and you're in the perfect will. Number four, faith is what God does with who he is. I want you to think about this. It might be a little bit of a hard sentence to digest. Faith is what God does with who he is towards you without the evidence of results, meaning we don't need to go by feeling to know what faith is. We just need the word. And where does, where does faith come from? Anyone? Faith comes by what? Hearing. Hearing, right? Faith doesn't come by anything else. That's what Jesus was saying to the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 55. Listen and see how rich life can be. When you, don't, when you and I don't know what to do, let's not rush into things. Let's just wait and listen unto God. And some, you know, sometimes, and you've been there, sometimes I don't, we just don't have the answers for everybody. And that's a good thing. We just say, you know what, I, I'm just going to wait on the Lord and pray, and maybe God will speak to me to give you an answer. Because when we wait and we quiet ourselves, then what happens is, is that God heals us from any deficit motivations in our life. He's always testing us. Why? To prove us wrong? No, because he wants to purify our motives so that our motive is really to glorify Jesus Christ. When you and I cease from our labors that are caused by inner need or external pressure and we believe on Jesus Christ, it becomes his work and not my work. This church becomes God's church when I cease from my labor of anything I need to see happen here, you know? And that becomes his work. And when we put our faith, that when we put our faith in Christ and we see him work, it's because we are responding to an opportunity that he gives us. I just want to close with that. that um, I know that God's doing a lot of things in our lives. And, and when you preach the word the way it is, God starts doing a lot of things in our lives. And I just want to close in prayer with this, that we would consider these four aspects of faith rest. Let's bow our heads for a moment. and.